People are yearning for information. Having the opportunity to encourage people and to educate people and inspire people. It's amazing to be able to say we'll carve out time to take care of ourselves. There's something for everyone. Welcome to Health Gig. This is a program today that I get to actually interview Doro. And we are going to talk about mindfulness. And Doro's going to help lead a conversation in sort of a deep dive of what is mindfulness, what it's done for Doro's life and my life. And Doro's going to share some personal experiences that she's had that put her on this path. So we are so excited, Doro, to have you as our guest today on Health Gig. Thanks for being here. Sure. Happy to. Doro, why don't you just... Tell us how you got started in mindfulness. I'll sort of be the person to interview you. Is that okay? Okay. Okay. <laughs> how did you get, and we'll focus on you today. How did you get started in mindfulness? I have a story that I love to tell that's partially true. As you know, Trish, I'm the youngest sibling in a family of five. I have four older brothers who have been great influences in my life. And so I feel very lucky for that. And people, for some reason, are surprised I'm such a strong advocate for mindfulness coming from the family that I do, the family that I grew up in. But it really was one of my amazing brothers who was instrumental in starting me on the path to mindfulness. And that's my brother, Marvin. Many people have not heard of Marvin. He's not famous, but he's the brother just older than me in the birth order. And for a period of time, he was the baby in our family until I came along. And so it was Marvin who really started me on this path of stress reduction at a very early age. And believe me, he continued to teach me things throughout our teens. Those were turbulent years. One day when my mom was out doing errands and I was in preschool, my mom, who was a prolific needle pointer, had kept her bag by the couch and in the bag was a pair of scissors. Well, my charming brother decided to pull those scissors out and practically cut off every hair on my head. And so I like to say that that was the beginning of years of anxious moments growing up with four older brothers and especially my brother Marvin. But <laughs> the truth is I got into mindfulness for so many other reasons. Trisha, as you know, I do struggle with sort of a mild, persistent depression and I know I'm not alone because one in three women and one in five men experience depression by the age of 65. It's a challenge for many of us. And when I talk about depression, I talk about a feeling of emptiness, low self-esteem, a hopeless feeling, just on and on. And mindfulness has really helped me. It's not the end-all be-all for depression, but it's one of the tools that I have that helps me. Now, I also have medication. I also have diet and exercise. And a big one is reaching out to friends, especially girlfriends, my faith, all those things. But we know and science tells us that mindfulness can soothe our nervous system. It can promote calm. It can help us face our fears. And it just helps you to be real about your life. And it reminds me over and over again that my thoughts are not real. My funny story about my brothers is fun to talk about, but I also have a truth to talk about that mindfulness has been invaluable for me. And so I hope that helps other people. 
It's so really brave of you to talk about your own personal experience and struggles. I think that, as you said, it, we benefit so much from others sharing their life experiences. So thank you for sharing that with all of us. I hope it helps others. But other things like COVID-19 has touched all of us, right? right? And we can't help but feel overwhelmed, sad, angry, frustrated, and lonely. I remember and you probably remember this. I mean, and everybody remembers this when we've had to social distance and wear masks and God, how just, can we forget? Oh <laughs> right, God. exactly. It only increased our anxiety and stress, those of us who struggle with it. So learning to cope with stress in a healthy way will make you and the people you care about and those around you become more resilient. And that's where mindfulness comes in. We can't escape the problems and challenges, right, that we right. face because it's part of being a human being on the earth. In a world that's so uncertain all the time, there's one thing you and I talk about and you and I know to be true, and that is that we're all connected and that we're here to help each other. I know you've helped me, my family's helped me, and hopefully I've helped you and others and the people I love and the people that I come in contact with because that's what life is all about, relationships. It's again in this time of holiday seasons and buzz and lots going on, lots mm. of stimulants are going on. But if we can remember that our relationships really are the things that matter and it is the thing that keeps us strong and healthy, it gives us sort of a guide during this period. And then how do you do it? You do it through your mindfulness practice. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Dora, do you want to talk a little bit more, like kind of go into it as if you're giving us a talk on, <laughs> well, on what it means and you know what I mean? And tell us about Dave, Richard Davidson, you know, all that. Okay. I think it is important that we talk about the health of our minds. I often cite when I give a talk on mindfulness, I talk about as an example or as sort of a little segue into what we talk about. I don't know if you remember the fundraising ad that the United Negro College Fund had, whose tagline was, a mind is a terrible thing to waste. I would amend that by saying a mind is a terrible thing to overlook because a lot goes on in our minds and it's important to sort of notice what happens there. I remember you mentioned Dr. Richie Davidson, who is the founder of the Center for Healthy Minds at the University of Wisconsin, a really amazing friend. And he's been on our podcast a couple of times. Yes. He's been on Health Gig. And he's a very close friend of the Dalai Lama as well. And he's the leading scientist and neurologist. He knows everything about the brain. Everything. He's so smart. <laughs> he really is. But I remember once asking him what the difference between the mind and the brain is. I was so proud when you asked the question because that seemed really intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm like, good one. Oh, God, I'm glad you could muster up something. <laughs> well, we talk about the mind and we talk about the brain. Right. He used an explanation that I think is helpful, so I'm going to share it. And he uses the example of a computer, and it sort of goes like this. A computer requires hardware to perform its function, and the hardware needs software to make it run. So without the software, the hardware would be useless and vice versa. So the brain is like the hardware on the computer, and the mind is like the software. One can't function without the other. The brain is the physical place the mind resides. 
The mind really is the manifestation of thought, perception, emotion, determination, memory, and imagination that takes place in the brain. So that example really helped me. Just as there are better ways we can take care of our brain, there are also ways we can take care of our minds. And that's where mindfulness comes in. Tricia, you know that at our conferences and workshops, we always include it. We started including mindfulness, what, almost 20 years ago, you know, when we did our first conferences and our first teaching. So it's amazing to see where we were 20 years ago and how really mindfulness has come to center stage, right? Yes. But we all still need to be reminded of it. You know what I mean? Because we aren't getting healthier. We are getting sicker. So let's all come back to the basics, right? Yes. And that's exactly. why I think this conversation is so important, particularly during stressful times. <laughs> it's true. As you mentioned, I mean, mindfulness has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And now, as you said, it's in the pop culture moment, but we do need to be reminded of it. And research, which has been exciting, really shows us that science is confirming these benefits. That's really been sort of a great promoter of yes. mindfulness. Yeah. People want to know the sciences behind it. We do lead unconscious lives. Most of us spend our lives rushing from one thing to the next, thinking about the past and what we should have done or thinking about the future and what we need to do, but only to recognize that in reality, we've gained nothing and lost everything. And what I mean by that is racing through life, we risk missing a lot of the good things and quite possibly ignore messages about our life, our relationships, and our health. You know, Doro, it's so interesting that you should say that. Just the other day, somebody said to me on one of our posts or something, I said something about how we can make time slow down. It is through mindfulness. While we aren't making time slow down, we're slowing down. So it's almost like we can enjoy that moment, you know, squeeze the most out of that moment. So it's almost like there's a lemon, right? And when we squeeze a lemon in a hurry, you only get a little juice out of it. But if yeah. you really sit with it and you use that, remember those things that we got for Christmas for our kids, you know, those squeezer things, yeah. <laughs> you know, in the same amount of time, I could juice it, use that, get more juice out of it. It was funny because it was actually a friend of ours, Cindy, and she'd asked me that and she has 10 children. <laughs> and, and I thought, oh, wow, you're not slowing time down. You're slowing down, but it feels like time yeah. is slowing down. Yes. Anyway, that's why I love it when you talk about this, because we all want to slow down time. We say time goes by and warp speed, but really if we slow ourselves down, that moment feels longer, right? It feels longer. And more peaceful. <laughs> and you're not missing out on your life as right. you're living it. You're right. really living. Right. Yeah. I have a good story. I can tell. It takes place in Washington, D.C. at a metro station. This was before COVID when we were out and about. And this was on a cold January morning in 2007. A man with a violin played six Bach pieces for about 45 minutes. This was at the metro station. And during that time, over a thousand people went through the station, most on their way to work. And this man played the violin continuously for 45 minutes. And of the a thousand plus people who walked by, only seven stopped and listened for a short while. 20 more gave money, but continued to walk at their normal pace. The man collected a total of $32.17 
And he finished playing and then silence took over. No one noticed and no one applauded. There was really no recognition at all. And no one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the greatest musicians in the world. He played one of the most intricate pieces ever written with a violin that was worth $3.5 million. Two days before that, Joshua Bell sold out a theater in Boston where the seats averaged 100 plus each to sit and listen to him play the same music. Joshua Bell was playing incognito in the D.C. metro station as part of a social experiment on mindfulness. So the question is, if we don't have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing some of the finest music ever written with one of the most beautiful instruments ever made, how many other things are we missing as we rush through life? That's so true. And it makes you really pause to think about all the times we had, we're on the Metro or running around and there's some music or something playing. And now I think about this because we've talked about this so much. It's like, yeah, there's beauty all around us all the time. If we're slowing down enough to experience it and that's mindful. I like to call it the fast train to nowhere yeah. <laughs> when we're rushing and this forever busyness that we all walk around with. But the problem is when we live this way, we're compromising our health. And now it's through precision medicine, through all the work that we're doing with Matt Dawson and Wild Health, we are learning firsthand by our own blood work. We see what's happening, what chronic stress, right? When cortisol is pumping out all the time, what that's doing to our immune system. So we hear it, but when you actually look at your blood work, you're going to see what's happening to your immune system because your cortisol is pumping out all the time. You're going to start not only seeing it, but you're going to start feeling it in ways we don't want to. So yes, stress is not good for our health. And it opens the door to all kinds of diseases. We don't have to be rushing, and I like to add worrying, all the time. There really is another way to live. And of course, that's mindfully. What is mindfulness? Well, there's so many different definitions, right? And I know you're asking that and you're probably going to say it, but there are so many <laughs> different, different <laughs> definitions, right? right? And I think in our learnings, in our courses that we've taken and all the amazing teachers that we've had, there's different definitions, but we were so excited. And maybe many of you guys were with us when John Kabat-Zinn joined us a few years ago at the Achieving Optimal Health Conference, right, Dora? It was as yeah. if we couldn't believe it. We just couldn't believe he was there with us at Georgetown. But he shared with everyone the definition that he used. And Dora, you pretty much use this as your definition as well, right? I do. So mm -hmm. in your teachings. Um, it's mindfulness is paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And I like to add with kindness, it's really the basic human ability to be fully present, aware of where we are and what we're doing and not overly reactive or overwhelmed by what's going on around us. It's simply moment to moment awareness and it's something you can practice in any activity of your life. Eckhart Tolle said it simply, right now, I'm okay. So the more you fully inhabit the now, the more okay you are. Can we just talk about that for just a second? Yes. So the more fully you inhabit the now, the more okay you are. Because you're basically saying to yourself, right this minute, right now, everything's okay. Like right yeah. this minute. 
There's no right crisis. Right this second. Right, right this, this moment. Second. For us. For us. So it, again, it's sort of breaking it down and paying attention to this moment, this second. It's moment to moment. Not like running, 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 but moment to moment. When we're running on all cylinders and worrying about all the details of our lives, we know, and you know, and actually, Tricia, you taught me that mindfulness can restore us to wholeness and just keep us well. As you just said, there's so many avenues right, right. to mindfulness, <laughs> and it's not limited to a meditation pillow. It can be practiced in nature, on our drive to the market, in our mundane daily tasks, in our relationships, like we were talking about. Every minute of our lives is an opportunity to become more mindful. Yes. Yeah. And I remember, Dora, I remember when I was taking that mindfulness stress reduction course, the John Kabat-Zinn course at Georgetown, I remember we had to pick a practice and I do it to this day. And that is every morning you have your routine. So therefore that's like a practice. And making your bed is a practice. And I remember so clearly, and Dora, we talked so much about this. So every morning, making your bed is a new experience. And so what you're taught is, how do I look for something I didn't see yesterday? You know, this crease, how do I push that crease out? Or how do I puff my pillow in a different way? But the idea is mindfulness practices don't have to be something that we carve out, we sit in some cases, I have to go sit in the closet, but you don't have to do that. We can actually practice it in our life. And that's really what we want, right? We want it off the pillow in our life. It's true. We can practice it when we're eating and notice yeah, the textures, eating. the smell, the, all the things about the food before us or brushing our teeth, the feeling the sensations and et cetera, et cetera. And I'm serious sometimes, and I know Dora, again, we've talked about this, sometimes my monkey mind and my mind okay. goes and it goes and it goes. And I find that my practice, my daily practice is getting going, going. And I do need to then literally sit in. I remember my brother saying, you better find a dark closet, turn the lights out and <laughs> sit in there. And I actually had to do it for a week because I needed to create space away from my life to be able to bring mindfulness back into my life. I do love what you're saying, Dora, because everything we do can become a practice of mindfulness. Just a walk in the woods, anything. There are just so many ways to practice mindfulness, to be present with what is. And when you find what works for you, it really can be life-changing. And one of the things we talk about a lot is breathing which is an incredibly powerful tool to reduce stress and it can promote relaxation and calm and peace. And Dr. Weil, who we also love, says breath is the key to health and wellness, a function we can learn to regulate and develop in order to improve our physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. Breathing gives us life by bringing oxygen into our tissues and by stimulating our relaxation response, even just pausing a few minutes throughout the day to take a few full deep breaths just makes us feel good and is good for our health. Breath is a whole thing that Dora and I have been talking about for a long, long time. And as she says, it's really getting a lot of attention in this kind of way. But breath is a thing when we started talking about the interconnectedness of wellness. And again, as we explore this, it is breath that connects us all. Again, that in itself is a practice, knowing that I'm breathing in and I'm breathing out. I'm sending energy here. I'm sending energy to me, right? 
is actually a practice that Pema Chodin talks a lot about. But do you want to share, Dora, the 478? Do you want to do that with everybody? Yes, now? let's do, because that's going to be a great tool that you can use through the holidays. It's a great technique for anxiety, for stress, for insomnia, which is something we need to get a wrap our arms around. Um, <laughs> exactly. But it's really simple. So you exhale completely through your mouth. You're going to inhale through your nose for a count of four. Hold your breath for a count of seven. And then exhale through your mouth for a count of eight. So why don't we try it? Exhale completely through your mouth. <laughs> Inhale through your nose, count of four, two, three, four. Hold for a count of seven, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Exhale for a count of eight, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's simple. But it's going to increase our alertness. It lowers our blood pressure and heart rate, and it can boost our immune system. Just a simple breathing practice because our breath really is serious business and it's at our disposal anytime. Again, when you practice mindfulness, you begin to believe you have everything you need, right? You really have what you need, and it begins with breath. And then there's meditation, which of course isn't for everyone, but is a great tool. And meditation is simply the formal practice of mindfulness. It's just learning to quiet our busy minds and learning to focus our attention, often using our breath as an anchor. And it's just taking the time like you do in the closet to stop. <laughs> Seriously. It's, it's so, and it's so funny because, I mean, I'm so serious about that. It's almost like the extra medicine you need. You know what I mean? Like this isn't working, so I need to go deeper. The kids will come home or something and I'll say, yeah, yeah, I'm home. And they can't find me, you know? <laughs> and you're in the closet. And I'm in the closet. So then we've got a whole thing going like, oh God, mom's in the closet again. You know? <laughs> uh oh, what's wrong? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. But it is, it's just taking the time to stop. Yes. To be still and to be deliberately mindful because sometimes you get rushing, 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 and you can't really stop all of that as you're going through your day. So we all have crazy thoughts in our heads. When I say crazy, my thoughts, I'm not kidding. And <laughs> I great. remember when I recorded my thoughts. Yes, yes. Um, Can you share it? Do you have yeah. it? Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it goes something like this. Today's just going to be a great day. Everything's going to go really swell. As usual, I'm going to eat healthy exercise, get organized, answer all my emails, get to work, do everything. And then suddenly I just start answering those emails and there's too many emails <laughs> and I'm overwhelmed by the dirty drawers I'm looking at. And oh my God, the refrigerator stinks and there's too much in there and I'm just never going to get to it all. And then I think, well, I'm actually hungry. <laughs> Again, <laughs> but I'm going to eat salad today. I promise myself, but I'll probably eat the cookies too. And I'll probably get fatter and don't eat those cookies, you idiot. <laughs> and then I think my neighbor looks great. Because <laughs> she so won't skinny. <laughs> Yeah, she's so skinny and I'll never be skinny. And she hasn't eaten a cookie since 1970. I've eaten pounds <laughs> of cookies since then. And oh my God. So that's what goes on in my crazy thoughts. <laughs> in my head and it goes on and on. And so our minds become a storyteller, right? It tells stories that aren't necessarily true. 
these stories and thoughts are what have us then losing our temper or checking our phones incessantly or eating donut holes when you're not hungry, which I may or may not have done recently. But most of us assume that we're stuck with these thoughts, right? That these thoughts and this voice in our heads is just the real thing. The truth is we're not. So that's where meditation comes in. Because when we meditate, we don't and can't suppress our thoughts, but we can learn to become observers of these thoughts. We can acknowledge our thoughts without judgment because we often judge our thoughts, right? Like, what are you doing? And we can learn to let them go. That's not to say that sitting in meditation is easy right? (laughs) because we're used to rushing and achieving and just sitting in our closet, perhaps, (laughs) is against our nature. And it can be uncomfortable because it can bring up painful things like fear, guilt, disappointments, and losses. I think, and I know you think, it's worth the effort. By training our minds, we can learn to calm the turbulence we all have in our heads. We don't want to block our thoughts out, but we don't want to feed them indefinitely. We do want to let them rise and dissolve on their own. Ideally, in the perfect world, we want to become loving observers of our thoughts and just let them go. What I always like to remind people is that we don't find anything strange about spending years learning to read or write or learning professional skills or working on our physical bodies at the gym because we think this will benefit us in the long run, but it's really our mind that creates our experience of the world. You know, it's funny when we talk about this too, you know, the things we say to ourselves and what our mind says, as you said, the storyteller. I would never say what I say to myself to anybody else, right? Ever, ever, ever. Because that other person would probably never talk to me again. (laughs) And so this idea of how I judge myself so harshly, you know, how we look at ourselves so harshly. And I think part of mindfulness, and you talk a lot about this, is self-compassion, how we learn to accept ourselves, right? We talk so much about self-care and we talk so much about loving ourselves. But you do need to cultivate that, right? And we need to get this mind in a place to say, you know what, thank you for what you've just shared with me, but you know what, I don't believe you. And then start another practice on this, right? If we transform the way we perceive things, just as you were just saying, we transform the quality of our lives because if we walk around believing the BS (laughs) that's happening up there that benefits nobody, the worst thing that happens is our health is compromised. Right. It's just like, why? Why would you even want to go into that when you understand what we just talked about today? So how do we apply it, Doro? Holidays are here. Yes. So what happens? Okay, I get triggered. Like this person comes in, says something like, what did you just say to me? What do I do? Not to blow our own horn, but try a guided meditation. Absolutely. And by the way, with meditation, there's no wrong way to do it. So if the term meditation freaks you out in any way, shape, or form, you don't have to be the yogi on the mountaintop to be doing it. And there's a million techniques, but guided meditation is really an easy technique that uses visualization to bring about awareness. And there's so many benefits to it. So it's just worth trying. It is. Our Monday meditation series, that would be a great thing to start listening to in the evenings. And I know so many of you say it's such a source of restraint storing yourself. 
The other thing, Dora, is what you just talked about today is Dr. Wiles 478. So, okay, I'm standing there. Someone just said something to me. Like, I'm like, wait, what? You don't like my sweater, my Christmas sweater? <laughs> wait, you just said that to me? Your sweater is uglier. But then, but you don't say that. Maybe you find your breath. Maybe right before you go for the cookies, right? Or right before you go for that glass of wine. Maybe find that breath and maybe find the space between things that we're calling triggers, right? Yeah. And do that through breath, do that through listening to the meditations that we have on Meditation Mondays. Again, the idea is it's not complicated. It's just teaching ourselves to be compassionate. I mean, Dora, you talk a lot about compassion towards yourselves and saying, you know, this is good for me. And for me, the visual of my blood work, seeing that why my blood count is a little low because my immune system is a little low because my cortisol is a little high. I see that and I'm like, okay, Trisha, breathe now, just breathe. And when you're doing that, your cortisol levels are going down. You're not in fight or flight anymore. We talk all about the vagus nerve and how can we activate our parasympathetic nervous system. And this is all the ways to do it, right? We joke about it, but there's always the relative at the Christmas party (laughs) that you need to deal with. And, you know, I have the perfect family. Well, no, you don't because there's going to be someone that's going to make you mad. So these tools are, I think, essential. I'm just laughing about something with me and my, I've made stuffing this year, you know. I heard a comment down the other end of the table. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, don't they know how long it took me? You know what I mean? That yeah. kind of stuff. Over exactly. stuffing. And I really considered not talking to my son the rest of the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that leads us to relationships, right? Yeah, right. Because it's our relationships where we experience our greatest sense of well-being and yes. happiness or our greatest sense of frustration and unhappiness. There's this wonderful 80-year-old ongoing Harvard study of adult development. And according to that study, our relationships are the single greatest factor determining how long we live and how happy we are. And as the study found, more than money, success, fame, or even our genes, our close relationships keep us happy, healthy, and living longer. And so we can't talk about well-being without talking about relationships. And we spent what last conference pretty much all on MC Squared, right? Mindfulness Community Collective, which is our program that talks about how do you be in relationship and make it your practice. And this idea of staying present, this idea of listening, this idea of breathing with this person that you're talking to and being truly connected is a practice in itself. And like you said, it's probably critical because relationships, as you said, really dictate our health and our longevity. Well, there's so many ways to deepen and nourish our relationships. And as you mentioned, our online course, which is so wonderful, but listening is one of the units in our program that we talk about. And then taking judgment from judginess (laughs) to curiosity. We talk about the breath. Speaking your truth, saying what you really mean, speaking what's true, and that's where mindfulness helps us there as well. Forgiveness is an enormous part of our course. And then embracing joy, which is the thing that we all want to aspire to. You know, I was thinking about one of our, again, our past conferences with Ayan Lavansant. She was a podcast guest. Do you remember her saying that she was driving down the highway, I guess stopped at a red light, but some guy 
kind of cut in front of her, you know? So she looked over and she deeply listened to what he was saying to her, which wasn't very kind, right? She heard him. And then she said she turns her judgment straight into curiosity and she started building a story. And the story was, oh, his mother was really sick and he's on his way to go save her. You know, like a whole positive story. So of course I'll back up and let him in front of the red light versus the obvious story. <laughs> and so her whole thing is, and our whole thing is, you know, we're not right. It's judgment. So maybe turn it into curiosity. Oh, well, maybe they are doing this. It's just could be this. It could be that. It softens everything. And then you can breathe easier, right? And then you're like, oh, I'm feeling better. You know, this poor I'm going to let these next team, 10 people yeah, in. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you practice forgiveness, oh man. And then you embrace joy. And I know you wanted to talk a bit more about joy. Well, <laughs> it's rewriting the story, which yes. we talk about all the time, which is a really great tool, especially during the holidays when the drunk uncle comes in. <laughs> And hurls the insults. <laughs> you can rewrite it and say, you know, he lost his wife 10 years ago. And right. His, <laughs> you know, his job was, you know, whatever, whatever. Right. Rewriting the story. <laughs> exactly. But all of these things, the breath work, the rewriting the story, the mindfulness, the meditation, the nurturing the healthy relationships can be life-changing. I know, Trisha, for you and I, it has been. And we're not perfectly mindful all the time. You mentioned earlier that we're still young on the learning curve of all of this, even though we've been practicing it for 20 years, because it would be impossible to be experts and perfectly mindful all the time. But we do have these amazing tools that we've learned from people who've come on our podcast, from research we've done at our disposal. We have them when life gets bumpy or when things are overwhelming and uncertain. And when we use them consistently, it does open up room for a little more joy. You know, how can it not? Because where you put your intention, your attention follows. So if my intention is to cultivate more joy in my life, even though right now I'm in a storm, it actually can happen. Dora and I also were huge fans and still are huge fans of Wayne Dyer, who of course passed. And he often talked about change the way you look at things, things you look at change, and therein lies the miracle. And I guess that's also Marianne Williams, The Course of Miracle. But we love that, right? Change the way you look at things and things you look at change. Look at something this way, not that way. And therein lies the miracle. <laughs> there it is. And so we wish all of you yes. a very mindful Christmas. Yes. I hope some of these thoughts and tools and this discussion will help you through the holiday season and beyond. Thank you, Doro, for sharing so much on Health Gig today. <laughs> I'm very happy to do it. Thank you for joining us on Health Gig. We loved having you with us. We hope you'll tune in again next week. In the meantime, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast and follow us on healthgigpod.com. I'm Trisha. And I'm Doro. Be well. <laughs>